And, and I want to talk about how grace empowers us to take responsibility, but I, we're going to look at, at a little bit different um, subject. Not, I'm not talking about just over our own life and living in freedom. And like God wants us, how many know that the Lord wants us to, uh, to live free from things, free from guilt, shame, condemnation, overt sins? How many know the Christian life can be empowered by grace where we don't have to be in any kind of bondage? Come on. But I'm going to talk about a little bit different understanding of taking responsibility and, um, and how that applies to us individually and as a community and how grace empowers it. So there is this concept of grace that, you know, grace pulls us into the depths of the heart of God where we begin to discover and swim in this endless ocean of who he is. This endless ocean that is so vast, you can't even begin to comprehend. I'm, I'm going to just tell you right now. You can't even begin to comprehend his love for you. He is absolutely ravished over every single one of you. And, and this didn't just happen like after the fall. Actually, but from eternity before the world or anything was created, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit had us in mind. And He designed us to partake of the joy, the life, and the communion that the Godhead share. And that's all by grace. And what happens is when the Lord calls us into this scary the deep that calls unto deep, the psalmist says, the depths of this endless ocean of grace and love of who God is, that we begin to discover that we, we live differently. It's a whole new world. It's a whole new way of thinking. It's a whole new way of doing relationships. It's a whole new way of what church looks like, what community is, what family is. And, and so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I have some verses ready. I don't know how many I'm going to get to. I said Romans 12, but listen, I'm going to start somewhere else. I'm going to start in John 13, okay? Um, and if you guys laugh too much, I'm going to start somewhere else. And, and if you're prophetic, you already know where I'm going to start. So, no, I'm kidding. All right. John chapter 13. Man, I... Anytime I come back to John 13, something happens in my heart every, every single time where the, I just begin to think about, here's the, the, the text, the context, like Jesus, it's Passover. Jesus is about ready to go to the cross and he's spending time with his disciples and he's, he, he's about ready to talk about the new covenant and he washes the disciples' feet. Now, if you know historically, uh, not even it wasn't even appropriate for them to wash one another's feet because it was the place of like a servant of servants. But now we have Jesus, their Lord, right? Their rabbi, but he's more than a rabbi. We're talking about the most ultimate undercover boss episode of all time. Now, think about this before we jump into the text. 
Think about, would it be an honor for you to serve somebody that you love and somebody that you really look up to in life? Like think about who you look up to maybe in life. Let's say you're in business and you had the opportunity to hang out with the CEO that's changing the world and that's very successful. Or let's say that you love ministry and there's somebody, you're a prayer warrior and it's like, man, if I could just spend time, or you're a missionary, I would, Heidi Baker, oh my gosh, what a hero, right? And there's honor, we don't worship these people, but we honor them. Bill Johnson, we think about the heroes of faith, you know. Imagine being able to just serve them and honor them and spend a day with them. Now imagine God gives you the opportunity to wash the feet of a man or a woman of God like that. It'd be humbling, right? And would you do it? Now reverse it. God in the flesh washes our feet. The humble love, divine love of grace manifested in the upper room Where Jesus stoops down low. He stooped down so low, he took on our broken humanity. And he washed us. He washed our feet. Now there's something to learn from this, and we're going to talk about this, how grace teaches us to walk in a, this new way where we love with the same love. Amen. Where... The focus of our love, which by the way, the focus of God's love and when we walk in an appropriate love for one another, it's always redemptive. The love of God is always redemptive. It's never retributive. I know we'd like, like it to be sometimes, right? Like James and John. I'm going to call fire down from heaven upon them. Jesus is like, you don't know what spirit you're of. You see, grace teaches us what spirit we're of. Grace teaches us that love displayed in humility is divine love. In the strength of humility, in the honor of humility, to be able to wash one another's feet. And we learn that, that there is this new way of living where we truly Honor, hear me, honor, value, and esteem one another the way Jesus esteems us. You know, I think about the story uh, in John 12, not just in the chapter before this, where you have uh, the story of Bethany and Mary pouring out oil, uh, costly oil, at the feet of Jesus. Not only was she worshiping the Lord, and, and of course, Judas, you got to love Judas, right? He's like, how dare you? That was worth so much money. We could have given it to the poor. It's like, Judas, bro, stay in your lane. Jesus, Jesus didn't say nothing. Jesus didn't say a word. He let her waste it on him. He didn't say a word until Judas said something. But you think about this costly love that was shown, not only, now I love, I love how she's worshiping and, and just pouring out costly oil and, and Jesus says, leave her alone. I love that. Amen. And there's times that your worship 
will cause uh, a, a victory to come about where praise and worship silences the enemy over your life. Sometimes the only thing you could and should do is just worship the Lord with extravagant love. And it's not, let me just throw this in there, okay? Because we're doing a, mess, a, a series on grace. Your worship is not like this orphan striving. Oh, I just want to please you, Lord. Oh, God, I just want to please you. God's like, you do please me because you're my child. Just, just, just lo- love me. Like, re- reciprocate my love. Worship is a participation before it's a practice. Our worship is connected to what Jesus did in his vicarious humanity, his human response to God, the Father, our worship is connected to Jesus's human response to God. Chew on that one for like 10 years. And we think about it though, it's like when it comes to worship, it's like, well, I have to raise my hands the right way, I've gotta raise a flag, I've gotta do the charismatic two-step, I've gotta bow down right way, I've gotta pray in tongues for 10 minutes exactly, and it's like we, and it becomes this formula where we don't realize it, but we move away from the rhythm of grace and we jump on this hamster wheel of am I good enough, am I gonna please God enough, and God's like, when you know that you're pleasing to me as a son and a daughter, you can please me. But if your aim to please me is from an orphan mindset, you're on a hamster wheel. And it doesn't work. And Jesus, so John 12, man, this, oh, here's what I was going to say about that. John 12, she's pouring out costly oil at the feet of Jesus. Not only is she honoring Jesus, but hear me, this is profound. And this is what happens with true worship. She's pouring worship out on the body of Jesus. She's pouring love out on the body. You see, your worship is reflected in how you love the body. Your worship is reflected on how you love the person to your right and your left and behind you, the person that's not here today, the person that doesn't go to church here anymore, the person that went here 12 years ago, the person that is even your enemy, even the person that broke your heart and my heart and maybe betrayed us whenever. Like God, the way that I worship him is reflected in how I love, how I pour costly love on the body of Jesus. So Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, okay? I think that's enough context. Um, My preacher clock starts right now. I'm kidding, I'm totally kidding. Maybe not, we'll see. Verse one, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father, this, I, this line right here, man, it gets me every time. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Some translations say to the uttermost. How many would say, I want to love to the uttermost? Yeah. And after being, uh, supper was over. I love the word supper. Anytime I think about supper, I think of a good old home-cooked meal. Come on, somebody. That's just a distraction. It has nothing to do with the message. 
The devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. There's this little, little part of that where it's like, <laughs> Jesus, the God-man, he, he knows what's up. He knows what's going to happen with Judas. And he still humbled himself and still washed their feet, including Judas's. If you think about it, if, if you look at that as an investment, that wasn't a very good return, right? I think there is, there is a problem with the way that we view life sometimes. And we, we look at everything as an investment. You know, when I was a mortgage banker, there's something called pride of ownership, and what it means is, is that if I were to buy property or a home, if it was my primary residence, they, they take note, the underwriter that approves the loan, take note that there is something called pride of ownership. In other words, if it's my primary residence, I'm going more likely to pay that bill than if it was an investment property. If it's an investment property, the underwriter is going to say, well, you got to put more money down. You've got to invest more because... There is a risk factor that if you're just, hear me, hear, listen to this. If you're just investing in something, you're not going to value it as much. You see, the problem in communities sometimes and in church sometimes is we think church is an investment. But how many know that we're not called to invest in the church? We're called to own the church. Because we are the church. You see, there's a garden of community that grace empowers us to steward. And, and we think it's our job to, to just throw a little seed and invest and expect a return. When God's like, no, you're supposed to own this garden. In fact, I've given you a measure, a metron, an ability, a responsibility to steward a portion of this garden. And you're so worried about somebody else's garden, you can't steward what I've given you. And grace will supernaturally enable us to own what God has given us to own. Because we're not called to just invest. We are called to take responsibility Pride of ownership. And when I say pride, I'm not referring to like the, you know, the negative understanding of pride. I mean like where you own something, where it's yours. It's like my son recently got a car. He has a job. He's moving into the adulthood. Come on, somebody. He has bills. Come on, somebody. Um, that comes with it too, right? And, and he's, the other day, he's washing his car. And man, his car was so shiny and blue and just glorious, it is a really nice car. It's my former car, so it's really nice. And, and there's something beautiful about stewardship that grace, hear me, teaches us to be good stewards. And it's like God has given us a garden of life, community, relationships, family, and he's entrusted us. And the way that we can do what he's called us to do is by loving and when we love like Jesus loved, we're reading here in John 13, and there's this verse, it's like, Jesus knows what's going down, and he still laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and then he wiped them with a the towel that he was girded. And then we know the story, I'm not going to get into it right this second, but Jesus stoops low and washes 
And I feel like sometimes we get so distracted with things and, and God wants us to get back to just simply owning. You know, I thought of the parable uh, in Matthew 25 where, you know, you have the parable of, uh, of the talents. And it was the one that buried his talent that was rebuked. But those that, that owned what they had and multiplied it, God said, well done. But there's this obscure verse Verse 29 of Matthew 25, and I want to just hone in on it for one second. And he says, to him who has, more will be given. And those that don't have, even what he has will be taken away. That doesn't sound very nice. Do you know what it means, to him who has, more will be given? It means to him who takes ownership over. If you're faithful in the small, you'll be given authority over much. If you're faithful in the metron of relational love with one person, God can increase that metron to where you can disciple others. But God has given us a responsibility and and grace teaches us to love in humility and truly honor to where we take on this sense of a pride of ownership. And, and, and this is what I'm praying. And know this, like as we, as you give and honor the Lord with your finances and you give to the church, don't look at it as an investment. Look at it as ownership. Because if it's ownership, your heart's there. Look at it as ownership that when you come here on Sunday morning, you're not just coming here to get charged up for the week, but no, you're coming here and like, God, where can I serve? Where can I step into? I don't want to lose heart while doing good. But Lord, stir up a fervency in me that I can serve and love the body because when I worship you and I pour out that oil, it's not just through, uh, you know, like exciting and extravagant and exuberant and expressive worship up here at the altar, waving my hands, but it's actually loving the body of Christ because our love for the Lord is shown by our love for one another now we know the story Jesus washed his disciples feet how many know that Judas walks out the door now I don't know about you but when somebody walks out the door after something like that I'm like you know I mean can I just be honest like I'm I'm ready to throw hands man like I'm You want some of this, bro? What's up? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Maybe y'all are saved and glorified and you don't ever get mad. And and especially, can I tell you, and sometimes I feel like that's not good, but sometimes there's something in me. If somebody hurts someone that I love, man, I'm like, you better watch yourself, bro. You better back up off. That's my boy. Come on. Hello? Now, parents, don't act, moms, mama bear, you know, mama bear. You know, the first time someone disrespected your child, you're like, you better, beep, 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 Christian cussing. I remember one of the first times someone disrespected Sarah was a little girl, and she's a sweet little girl. For the most part, she was a little bratty. She went through a bratty phase. She's not sitting where she's supposed to, so I'm calling her a brat. So... There was this moment in a store where this lady tries to reprimand Sarah. I'm like, stay in your lane, woman. That ain't your child. 
Now, trust me, I get sometimes parents be letting their kids do whatever they want. I don't like it, but that's between them and the Lord. Now, if that kid comes running across these Yeezys and like puts mud on my shoe, then we're talking about something, right? But I remember this moment. Do you remember this moment? We're in a department store. You, maybe you don't remember, but I've never seen that furious love of a mama before that came out of her shell. Her firstborn, she's like, she's fine. She's fine. But Judas betrays the Lord. And sometimes we don't know the context. We, we know the verse. They will know you're my disciples by They will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. How in the world does Jesus say that right after he was betrayed? What love, such love. Everybody in this room, most of us would just, it'd be a gossip session. I knew Judas was, the whole time I knew it. I've been praying for him. Let's pray for him. And then even our prayers are gossiping about him. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Hey, you better watch what you say, Christian. Even when you pray. Oh, I'm just so burdened. I have to intercede for brother so-and-so. You ain't interceding for nobody. You're spreading the disease and the leaven of discord with your tongue. If you're not convicted, I'm convicted. You ever feel this feeling of like, ah, I just, I shouldn't have dishonored with my, ah, man. If you keep doing it after a while, you don't feel that anymore. And you get used to spewing and vomiting vile things about other people that are sacred to God. James chapter three, the tongue is just a little part of the body, but man, just like a spark can cause a forest fire, the tongue can bring devastating things. And God has called us to love the body and honor the body. This is why Paul says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good for edification, that it may impart grace. You can impart grace with your words. See, my words can lift you up to soar and to fly when they come from a heart of love and honor. And if I'm focused on what God has called me to do, then I'm focused on washing feet and serving and loving. And that's my metron. And I'm owning to him who has more will be given. I don't know, man. This is a really good message. I just, I love it. I feel like for for my own life, it's just a good reminder that grace teaches us to love with humble love. This is why Paul said to the church of Corinth, He said, you are God's garden. The community is a garden. And we need to have a pride of ownership and cultivate that which God has anointed us for. To steward, to sow, to water, and God will give the increase. But may we learn that grace teaches us to love and teaches us to walk in a love that is redemptive, a love that 
that sees redeeming value, not the things that we don't like. I, I have an issue with pessimism, and I don't mean realistic things and applying wisdom to see things get better. But if all we have to say is negative, we've probably taken a seat in the seat of a scornful. Now this is, this is a little, one of those scary verses. Psalm chapter one, in, in, uh, it says, blessed are those who do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. How many know that verse? You know that there are some translations, I think it's in the New American Standard, where the word scornful can be connected to this mythological counterfeit Eve named Lilith. And it was a demon that hates reproduction and life the way God designed it. When we sit in the scornful, we neutralize the reproductive life and grace that God wants for humanity and for the body of Christ. I see when I'm caught up in him though, and I receive his grace, love is poured out on the feet of Jesus. And when I'm pouring out love on the feet of Jesus, I'm pouring out love on the body of Christ. Oh my goodness. Listen, every single one of you in this room, you're called to serve. That's what a minister is. I wanna be a minister, serve. That's what you are, you're a foot washer. I want authority, serve. Authority in the kingdom of God is serving. The greater the authority, the greater the servanthood. It means you got more feet to wash. You want to serve? Serve. Listen, and, and practically, how do we do that? We can give. We can serve our time. We can serve. We can get involved. And, and listen, it doesn't have to be like uh, on, on the stage. If we're looking for power, position, spotlight, we're not ready for any of that. There's something going on in our heart. And, and man, be a doorkeeper or serve in whatever capacity you have. A, maybe you have a passion for something. But I want to encourage you that grace empowers you to display humble love and worship and honor to the body of Christ, which is your fellow brother and sister. And that also reminds us that we're not here to invest and get a return. I don't come to church because church is going to do something for me. Church is not a social club, y'all. Grace empowers us to see that we are the body of Christ, that we are an organic, loving community called to love one another and display that love to the broken world around We are called to be family. Grace unites us with the heart of God that we can know what love is and know what honor is and know what family is. And we're not just here to invest in something. We're here to own it because we're not just people that invest in a garden and sow a few seeds. We are called to cultivate the garden of community as the body of Christ. You know, in a marriage, if if I'm here, I'm just, well, I'm investing in your show. I hope I get a return. Well, I bought you something. I hope we can go on date night tonight. How many of you look at relationship like that way? It's not going to last very long and be very pleasant. But if I lavish her with my love and I honor her with my words, like Jesus does his bride, the washing of the water, the word, and I cherish her, 
How many know that there is a reciprocation of love and affection and intimacy? The scripture says that, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head of Aaron flowing down his beard. I felt that. I felt wind on that part right there. Down to the edge of his garments, what happens? When we are dwelling together in unity, the anointing affects the entire body. And the hem of the priest's garment, representing the promises of God. And how many know that as the body of Christ, we're the hem of the garments of Jesus that flow out into the broken world. Like the woman that had an issue of blood, there are people that are broken and the disease of sin have crippled them and isolated them. But because of the love that we have for one another, it overflows to the people around us. Can you say amen? There's a few other scriptures I don't have time to get into. I'd like to do part two of this. There's some scriptures in Thessalonians. Oh man, they're just glorious. But in summation of what I'm sharing with you, I just, I want to encourage us as a people. We're not called to invest in church. We're called to own it. We're called to fully embrace it. We're, we're called, let this be our primary residence in the sense that like, we're not here, that there's a value. There is a, honor given to community and relationships. Community is sacred. In fact, Paul equates in 1 Thessalonians the love that they have for one another, he equates that to holiness. That's incredible to me. A lot of times holiness we think of is like, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm doing good things and I'm such a nice person and, you know, I smile at everybody. Yeah, but in your heart, you like don't like anybody. Like holiness, no, seriously, like sometimes I think we've learned to like, praise God, praise you, praise God, brother. When we learn to live from the heart though, there's this thing that happens where we truly, our heart bends it's like, I love your people, Lord. It happens in ministry, like when we serve and love. And it's like, God, your people are so beautiful. And I don't see dirt, I see gold. And a culture of grace is a culture of honor. A culture that says, I'm not here to invest, I'm here to own. And that there's a sense of value given to where it causes us to love one another. And God looks at that and says, you're blameless. The love that you have for one another, God looks at and says, you're holy. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You know, um, I have a long way to go. I have a lot to learn. But what I want to learn most and what I want to be taught most is I want God to continue to teach me how to love. 
Love is sacrificial, self-giving, and other-centered. And as we grow deep and wide as a church family, may we grow in that sense of love because love will change the world. And I've, I've got a lot to learn. I've got a lot. I've got a lot of room to grow. I could, I could strengthen my strengths in, in a lot of different ways. As a leader, I want to be a better leader. I, want to, I could grow in... I'm a wonderful husband. My wife says so. She probably just says that. But I could be a better husband. I could wash my bride's feet. I could be a, a more loving father to my kids. I could be a better pastor. And when we approach like grace with this sense of humility, we rise into greatness. When we own what we've been given, more comes. Are y'all hearing me this morning? So can we come humbly and ask God to teach us to love and teach us to own and teach us to cultivate the garden, God's garden, you are God's garden. God cares about his garden. So let's focus on foot washing. You know, when we're focused on what God has anointed us to do, we don't have time to criticize all the other parts of the body. I could drop the mic right there. There's no gift of the Holy Spirit called criticism. No, that's the seat of the scornful. And if you sit there long enough, it becomes demonic. Envy, self-seeking, strife, dissension. May we learn to love in a way that is extravagant where we are walking in the grace that God's given us. I'm going to close with this one verse in Romans 12. That's what I was going to open up with. Romans 12. Listen to this. Close your eyes, would you? And I'm going to just declare this over you. Can we all open our hearts and just say, Lord, I receive your word this morning. Listen. Let the inner movement of your heart Always be, re- be to love one another. Oh man. Let the inner movement of your heart always be to love one another. And never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. Despise evil and embrace everything that is good and virtuous. Verse 10. Be devoted tenderly, loving your fellow believers as members of one family. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor for one another. So good. Father, bless your people. I love your body. Lord, your people are amazing. I thank you for the deep well of love that this community shares. And I thank you, Lord, that people will come from all over the world someday to experience the presence of God and the love of God in this house and healing will come. But it starts as we move from a place of investing to ownership to him who has more will be given. So in our hearts, we prioritize what you've called us and given us to do. Our metron to steward well, to love the body, to serve, to be foot washers. We take ourselves out of the seat of the scornful. We repent, we turn our hearts to you. Teach us to honor and impart grace with our words. Because if we indeed receive grace from heaven, we can impart it to others. 
I pray that you would just bless every person in this room. Father, I thank you for the new believers. I thank you for the younger believers. I pray for such a fervent fire in their hearts that it would continue and it would grow and they would evangelize people just by shining. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Can we thank God just for a moment? Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.